Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello and welcome back to the Sincere Yogi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the eight-limbed path of yoga. The eight-limbed path of yoga is typically taught first thing in a 200-hour teacher training. It's something that I wish I actually knew prior to doing my teacher training because had I known about the eight-limbed path of yoga, then I would be able to better understand exactly what it was that I was doing on my yoga mat in my studio-based and home practice. So this is why I figured it would be a great topic to start off the Sincere Yogi podcast with. And before we even dive into what the eight-limbed path is, is, meaning what each limb of the practice is, we're going to talk about where the eight-limbed path stems from. Because there's a lot that we know about yoga, there's a lot of information out there, but there's a lot that we don't know about yoga. And with the information out there, it can be really confusing to piece together where the practice sort of comes into its own. When I say the eight-limbed path of yoga is all-encompassing, it pulls from the practices of karma yoga, jnana yoga, bhakti yoga, and ultimately raja yoga. Now these practices, these sort of main styles or core branches of yoga are derived from cultural practices, Hinduism, Vedic philosophy, ancient texts, storytelling such as the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, all of these different places, as well as all of these different cultures and different religious practices. Hinduism being a predominant one, but of course, Buddhism coming in, having its influence. And even now, we see a lot of influence of Taoist philosophy and methodology within the modern day yoga practice. So the eight limb path really starts to simplify these practices, giving students and those seeking the journey of yoga a clear-cut path to follow, path in order to reach higher states of consciousness and ultimately liberation from this karmic pattern or enlightenment. So before diving into the practices of the eight-limbed path of yoga, I want to dive into these different paths of yoga first. That way you can start to see how these are influencing the eight-limbed path of yoga and how you can incorporate all of these aspects of practice into your personal practice as well. Starting off with karma yoga. Karma yoga is the yoga of selfless act, selfless deed, and it's meant to help purify that sort of karmic pattern within us all. This selfless deed comes from a space of pure love and compassion, understanding, and unity. So a state of higher consciousness acknowledging that ultimate state of oneness. Next, jnana yoga which is the yoga of knowledge, self-inquiry, this question of 
Who are we at our core? Not just our emotions, not our intellect, not these thought processes, but what is this conscious experience and where does this come from? When we take away this individualized experience, this ego, this singular perspective, who and what are we? So it's kind of existential in its approach, but that's where we see these aspects of self-study come into practice and that observer state in the mind. And then we have bhakti yoga. And this is really heavily influenced by religious and devotional practices as it's the yoga of devotion. We see this in chanting, mantra, kirtan, in meditation, this idea of the divine inner wisdom, this divine within us all, sort of this higher being or higher power that is both within us and beyond us at the same time. These practices lead to raja yoga or that control of the mind and emotions. Now, Raja Yoga is where we start to see the eight-limbed path of yoga first being talked about or really formed. The eight-limbed path is also sometimes referred to as Ashtanga Yoga. However, nowadays, the practice of Ashtanga Yoga in terms of asana is a little different than the eight-limbed path as a whole, although, of course, they are aspects of the same practice. Some schools of thought or practitioners say that the eight-limbed path should be practiced sequentially, learning first the yamas and niyamas before moving on to the asana, pranayama, and meditation practices. Now, this is not the case for how most people are entering the practice in the West, and while each limb or aspect of practice builds off of one another— It's not necessary to learn everything step by step. With that being said, most schools of thought will agree that there are certain practices that a student should have a decent understanding of and practice of before learning and incorporating other tools into their practice. Certain pranayama techniques, certain guided meditation techniques are reserved for later on in the practice because you need the foundational understanding of the previous practices in order to safely and accurately experience some of the deeper aspects. That and All of these aspects, the yamas, the niyamas, the first few limbs, help to prepare your mind, help to prepare your body, and help you build awareness of the internal experience so that these deeper aspects of pranayama and meditation are more profound and more effective overall. So now that we know a little bit more about where the eight-limbed path comes from, let's talk about the different limbs in the eight-limbed path of yoga, starting off with the first limb, the yoga yamas. The yoga yamas are moral disciplines of the yoga practice, stemming from karma yoga, stemming from that sort of selfless service, that selfless act, starting off with the very first yama of ahimsa, or compassion and non-harming for all living things. Now, there's five yamas and five niyamas, and I'm not going to dive into each one specifically, as each one will have its very own episode, but the yamas are the moral disciplines. They're to be acted out in thought, word, and deed, and it all helps clear that sort of karmic conditioning and clear our karmic patterns, 
eventually helping us break through these patterns and conditions so that we can reach that sort of liberated state. Next, we have niyamas, which are mental observances. The niyamas help you build a deeper understanding of the relationship of your feelings, your thoughts, your intellect, that relationship of mind and body, along with that sort of questioning of who we are at our core. Who is the person witnessing all of these emotions, all of this sort of human experience that we're going through? So the niyamas bring you into that mental aspect. Next, we have the asana or the yoga postures, and I'm excited to get to that portion of the eight-limbed path of yoga. Now, the asana is many things. It is a moving meditation. It is a way to clear your mind, cleanse your body, and it's a way to start to tap into the energy centers of your body. And it helps prepare your body and mind to sit for long periods in meditation. So we're going to dive deeper into the different styles of asana and more about the purpose of the asana in its own individual episode, as with every limb that we're going to talk about. So I'm just going to briefly go over the next few. It's the practice of asana that most agree should come before certain pranayama practices. And that's because through the asana, through linking breath and movement, through building that awareness of breath and building that capacity of breath, pranayama will then become easier for you to grasp because you'll already have built that understanding of your breath in your body, built sort of the foundational techniques to breathe more effectively, both in your physical practice when you're practicing asana or postures, but also when you're sitting to do pranayama practices or breathwork practices. Now, pranayama is often referred to as breath control or breath retention, and pranayama directly affects our energetic body. Not only that, but we do know that pranayama can have vast effects on your mind, on your nervous system, reaching those higher states of consciousness, but also soothing anxiety, helping us work through emotion. So breathwork is one of those practices that is very evolved nowadays And you'll see a lot of different teachers starting to bring in breathwork practices outside of yogic techniques. What would set pranayama apart from other styles of breathwork is that pranayama deals directly with our energetic body. So each pranayama exercise also has an energetic benefit attached to it. For example, Nadi Shodana or alternate nostril breathing is supposed to help clear Ida and Pingala Nadi, two major energy channels within the body. So while breathwork is an amazing technique and so many different cultures and traditions use breathwork to sort of reach these more liberated states or different states of consciousness, breathwork in a yogic sense has that energetic perspective attached to it. And the reason why we want to perform asana or practice asana rather before we do breath work is so that our body is also prepared for this influx of energy. 
our asana practice helps massage out these energy centers as well and helps create space in these energy centers so that our breath work becomes more effective. So once again, when we dive into those respective limbs, we're going to talk even more in detail about all of these concepts. Next, we have Pratyahara. Pratyahara is the withdrawal of the senses. It's going away from that external experience, the external desires, into the internal experience, away from not only the outside chatter, the outside distractions, but also away from the internal chatter of the mind. So this is sort of a prerequisite or kind of a pretense to an actual meditative state. Pratyahara is what happens when we start to learn how to meditate, when we stop sort of running away with the stories in our mind and start focusing on the breath, on the body, and eventually even moving away from that, moving away from sensation and into that very quiet internal space. Pratyahara is that first step, that withdrawal and going within. The next limb, the fifth limb, is dharana. Dharana is concentration. Once we've taken that step with pratyahara to withdrawal, to go within, then we need to concentrate and focus on that quiet space within rather than running away with the distractions because the distractions will always be present. There will always be something trying to pull you away. But when you practice going within, when you choose to focus on that quiet space, rather than run away with the distractions, that's when you can reach those more spontaneous moments of thoughtlessness, of oneness, of equanimity in the mind, of meditation. And that's dhyana. Dhyana is often referred to as that meditative state. But it's really that focus, that awareness of that divine within. So it's what lies in that quiet space. It's that consciousness that's within me, that's within you, that's within all living things. And it's that awareness of that consciousness, of that true self, of that greater conscious energy that leads us to this state of unity, that leads us to this liberated frame of mind, which ultimately is that eighth limb of samadhi. And samadhi is sort of that freedom from the ego, that freedom of illusion and living in that unity, living in that oneness and state of mind. Now, when we dive deeper into samadhi, there's actually different levels and layers to samadhi itself. And some practices, some lineages believe that samadhi, nirvana, enlightenment, what have you, is never fully seen because once it's achieved... The practitioner leaves the physical body, leaves the physical plane, and moves on to whatever's next, moves to that higher state of consciousness, and is no longer a part of this life. They no longer need to be because they've broken that life cycle, that karmic cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. 
Now that conversation dives even deeper into the different cultures, religions, and lineages of yoga and sort of how they view this idea of enlightenment, samadhi, and what is beyond this sort of human experience. But when we talk about the eight-limbed path, samadhi is that last step. It is that last little journey. And like I said, when we break down samadhi, there's multiple steps to samadhi itself. So when we look at samadhi, we can sort of be in this state of samadhi and start to see this state of samadhi while we're in this living conscious experience before we disperse into the ether and move on. So all of that being said, there's a lot to unpack, a lot to digest in just this episode, and then even more to digest about each individual limb itself. And I'm really excited to dive into those topics when the time comes. But for now, we're going to end this podcast episode about the eight-limbed path of yoga. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed, that you learned something new, and you can take this practice with you both on and off your mat. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi Podcast. If you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at the Sincere Yogi on Instagram.